perfect in my state of dreams. California feels alright. Oh, the jungle VIP I've reached the top and had to stop And that's what's bothering me I wanna be a man, man Swifty here, babe right Welcome to Hollywood Hello and welcome, you're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we are your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Kyle, we had a lot of fun talking about scores, talking about music. But, uh, you know, it's a little dense sometimes talking about that like sad Pixar stuff. So I'm (laughs) stoked we're moving into something lighter and something that is more of our wheelhouse and close to our hearts. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, this is this is why we started this podcast. We wanted to talk parks. That's all we wanted to talk about. But of course, you know, you got to spread that love out a little bit. Um, So we're talking about the best Disney California Adventure 1.0 thing. The first iteration of DCA was seen as a massive mess up. (laughs) It was came in way like there was no budget to make this park um, and it kind of showed and people reacted that way. They just didn't show up. But to Chris and I, this is our favorite part of this park. We love we love DCA 1.0, some weird nostalgia about it. The puns, the tacky theming, cookie cutter county fair attractions like, ah, give it all to me. My nostalgia for this is unlike any other. And this best DCA 1.0 thing can be a show, can be an attraction, can be an overlay, whatever. It it is open for, for business. And to help us figure out what is the best DCA 1.0 thing is a Disney podcasting OG. His shows are one of the reasons why Chris and I are doing the show right now as we speak. It is Matt Parrish. Matt, welcome to Mouse Madness. Thank you guys so much. <clears throat> I just got off the treadmill, so I'm uh, I'm feeling, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm feeling tired or energized. You know that feeling? Yeah, it's, it's kind of like a day in DCA. You don't know if you're tired or you're energized about it. <laughs> That's exactly right. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your Disney fandom and, and you know, your podcasting history? Because I've been listening to your podcast forever. I was started podcasting like when you guys were in elementary school. So this is, <laughs> this is very awkward for me. Um, it's actually kind of true. Like I, I, uh, I teach at a university. I teach media ethics. And I'll refer back to things from like 2005. And the kids are like, what? What is he talking about? <laughs> Uh, so yeah, uh, I started doing um, podcasting in oh eight oh nine, and then you know I started going to theme parks in like really like nineteen eighty two. But honestly, mm-hmm. like what can I remember? Like nineteen eighty seven to present. So I've really been doing this a long time. Um, sometimes I wonder <laughs> if I can stop doing it. It's like <laughs> I don't know how to explain that, but it's like, will I ever stop this? What am I? Why do I keep doing this? Right. Well, I mean, doing it from 2008, it's just become part of your your routine, part of your everyday. So how I couldn't imagine doing something for that long and then being like, here's my end date, you know? Yeah, it's really weird. So it's kind of counterintuitive, but I don't I'm not really into like um, 
uh, okay, so I'm not really into like Disney social media because that didn't even like exist hardly whenever we started right. doing this. So I really love podcasting. I like doing the research. I really just like hanging out with friends doing the podcast. I don't even, it doesn't matter if anybody listens. I just like doing that, that part. You know what I mean? You're fitting right in then because we, we don't care if anybody listens either. But we also love to make fun of Disney Twitter and that's what we do a lot on the show. It's so, it's so easy. <laughs> it's so easy. It's so easy. Uh, Matt, go ahead and, and drop your show. Drop, plug your shows. Where, where can people listen to you? Yeah. So the the my OG show is Wedway Radio um, when I can keep up with it. But it's uh, it's been around for a really long time. So there's hundreds and hundreds of episodes on there and they're mostly Disney history. There's some Disney news in there that's totally irrelevant, but might be funny <laughs> to listen to um, from like 2013 or something. So we've covered everything from Disney Imagineers to theme park lands to never built attractions to overseas parks, everything. Um, and then the 3028 show is the one that I do with Kevin. It's a little harder to find because the name is so wonky, uh, but it's it's the 3028 and it's 30 spelled out, 20 the number and eight spelled out. Like that is the dumbest way to promote your show, which I guess stands to reason why I don't really care you know, about the, the listener show. I love my listeners, by the way, but I don't really, it doesn't really matter. But that's a hard show to find. That show is based and rooted in Disney history and Disney history. And it's a, it's, even though it's Disney history and I've already done that with a different host, it's a totally different experience, I think, because totally. that's a different dynamic. It's not my brother. Uh, <laughs> there's no baggage <laughs> from sharing a room for 15 years. So. <laughs> It's a different experience, and and Ru- Kevin and I really love that show, and he does a really great job with research too. Totally, yeah. So everybody should go check that out. Uh, this is a a perfect kind of blend for you here because we are going back into history, and we have somewhat of a list. So we hope you have some fun. All right. So to help us with this walk down memory lane, we need some spoonfuls of sugar to help guide the way. Kyle, what are you drinking today in California? Today, I am drinking a Fort Point beer from San Francisco. Uh, This one is called the Tropical, or it's called the Animal, and it is a Tropical India Pale Ale. I've had this before. I might have even had it on the show before. Uh, Very delicious. It's warming up here in California, so it's feeling a little summery, and this is a perfect summer beer. And for this bracket, I'm calling it Paradise Beer, because of course... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Chris, what are you drinking? So uh, we're talking California adventure. So I had to reach into my Craft Beer Kings pack and pull out a California beer. I got one from Vista, which is in San Diego, my hometown. So hopefully it tastes like home. It's not a sour ale, though. This is oh. called a, a it's spelled G-O-S-E, which I want to say is like ghost, but it says it's German. So, you know, based on the little German I know, I want to say it's pronounced Goza. Goza? Oh, Nina's gonna light you up. Nina's uh, gonna light you no, up. No, that she listens listen, to this. <laughs> that's that's right. You can ask her, and, and that's <laughs> correct, hundred percent. So this is a tahine goza, and tahine is like a Mexican salt, basically. Um, yeah. And it's it's mango flavored as well. So there's gonna be a lot going on here. So I'm gonna give it a shot. Let's see how it is. Here we go. <laughs> oh. That tahine, though. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, it says mango tahine goza, but I think it's tahine mango goza. Um, <laughs> but guess what? I got a second spoonful of sugar. 
Okay, oh. I don't know that I've ever had two spoonfuls of sugar on the show, oh. but we're doing all this research on burger invasion, and um, I was like, that milkshake though, uh oh, I I need it, so I have a McDonald's chocolate shake. Oh, <laughs> oh nice. to help to help me out as well. So like, I have not had a McDonald's chocolate shake in probably a couple decades. So I go into McDonald's. I'm still in New York, mind you. So I got to walk <laughs> one and a half miles round trip in the rain to get this chocolate milkshake. I walk in there. I go to the digital touchscreen, order my chocolate milkshake. I watch the dude put the cup in the milkshake machine. Oh, it's no. like chocolate milk coming out of it. It's like water, <laughs> basically. And I'm like... I forgot this is why I don't get McDonald's desserts is because part of the thing is that all of the McDonald's dessert machines are broken 24-7 in every McDonald's in America. So yep. I, it's not really a chocolate shake. It's more like a chocolate milk. Um, but it's good. It's good, I guess. It's kind of cold still. So uh, <laughs> those are my double fisting spoonfuls of sugar. Uh, Matt, what, what do you got? Yeah, I'm, uh, mine's not as adventurous, I don't think, but this is my podcast fuel, and I and I lean on this like it sponsors the okay. show. So this is this is what I roll. <laughs> I roll with the the diet Dr Pepper, twenty three flavors, and DDP. there you go. We're gonna call it a sugar free spoonful um, oh. that I like to enjoy, and I can I can show you how it's consumed, but I drink it all while my computer. From 2014 was restarting, <laughs> uh, but I'm gonna call this the Brown Stinger. <laughs> oh, Love it. That's, yep, that's perfect. That is perfect. All right. Well, as we do every single bracket, we need to survey somebody, a certain demographic, to rank these DCA things. And this time, we chose folks that are mad about Disneyland's ticketing system. If you uh, listen to this podcast and live under a rock at the same time. Disneyland announced that they are opening and they opened with a queue system ticketing system in which you must find a reservation and then purchase your tickets in order to go into the parks when it opens at the end of April. Very convoluted system and people were stuck in their infamous <laughs> online ticket queue and they were not happy about it. And nothing makes me happier than Diz Twitter mad. So fun. So fun. Like, and I, I, I go in there and I look at it when I know for sure that I, I see something trending online and I'm like, can't wait to get in there and see how mad they are about this. And so when I saw Disneyland trending, I was like, yes, yes, we have a demographic. Um, and you know, like we were talking about this before we started recording. People used to not be so mad about Disneyland. <laughs> you know, and like that's that's what I think about when we talk about DCA 1.0 is like it's it's taken me back to a time where no one cared as much. <laughs> In addition to like Disney not caring about the product they put out there, we we the guests also didn't care about the quality of the product as much. At least I didn't as a small child. So I felt that they were a great demographic to 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 ask this question what is the most dca 1.0 thing now there were a lot of things when that park opened a lot of things yeah. big and small so not everything could make our bracket of 16 kyle what's one or two things that missed the dance for you 
For me, the one miss the dance uh, is the SS Rustworthy. This was a <laughs> children's playboat that was located across from Burger Invasion, which we will chat about later on in this episode. And it was like this water play structure that was a, a docked fireman's boat. And you could go and aim a like fire hose at a cardboard stand-up fireman and try and like use him as target practice there was it, it was just a climbing structure for kids across the walkway from the mcdonald's and it's mcdonald's branded all over it every like uh, uh life preserver has a, a the golden arches in the middle of it it's just that that classic mcdonald's disney partnership where it's uh here's a structure throw the golden arches on it this is ours now um it's just funny i remember actually wanting to go on this as a kid and i remember specifically my mom being like absolutely not you're not climbing all over that thing that's disgusting and germ-filled so little place in my heart because i wanted to go so bad but looking back on the pictures there's no way chris what are a couple for you so one of them's an attraction for me and it's the malaboomer malaboomer was a huge uh free fall attraction drop tower that had like a uh Blast launch, blasty launch. You go up <laughs> fast instead of slow. I don't know what that's called, but um, I loved that ride. When I was a little kid, we loved, we would marathon the Malaboomer because it was so fun. I mean, like objectively, it was a good time. I understand sure. how you'd be like, there's one at Knott's Berry Farm. Like, what is Disney thinking putting one so close to the other one? Or this is a cheap attraction, belongs at a county fair. Like, I had a good time riding it. It is what it is. Another one that missed the dance for me was Steps in Time, which was the original show that occupied Hyperion Theater. Yep. This was like originally before the park opened a kind of like a variety show of sorts where you'd have a couple people sing a Disney song. Then there would be a dance number to a Disney song and then repeat like three or four times. And it was super boring. So they reworked it and added some like story elements where there was a fairy godmother and annoying little brother and... Um, it didn't make it that much better. It made it slightly more tolerable. It was universally hated <laughs> by park goers. Um, and I, I never saw it live, but after watching both versions on YouTube, I agree that it was pretty bad. Which I, I love defending things, ironically, but I cannot defend Steps in Time. <laughs> it was extremely boring. Uh, Matt, any for you that missed the dance? Uh, yeah, actually, there's several for me, but number one, um, and this could have been in like the top five for me, is Malibu Ritos. Um, <laughs> I didn't find it in your bracket, but I felt it was a very DCA 1.0 thing. That's a that's a really good one for me. Uh, yeah. Uh, I didn't see Burbank ice cream nope. uh, on here either, so that's something that I'm missing as we as we move forward. I would have been a a huge advocate for that uh, in any kind of bracket playoff. So those are two that I, I felt really should have been here. Um, <laughs> there's only one more, I think, that that really sings for me, and that's Baker's Field Bakery. Oh, man. Which is a possessive Baker's Field, as if the baker had a field with a right. bakery. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the the food puns could be like their own yes. entry on this yes. bracket because totally. every single food location in DCA 1.0 was a pun of some kind. Yes. 
Yeah. So how do you co- how do you compare them? Like not only that, but then their menu items were puns. Okay. Well, <laughs> we'll just talk more about it. that later. <laughs> That's, uh, <laughs> All right. Well, we know who's missed the dance. It's time to announce our bracket of sixteen. So let's get into it. Let's cue that dramatic music. And here we go. Pulling up at the number one seed is Superstar Limo. O M C. Oh my Calafia, taking the number two spot is Golden Dreams. A postcard perfect number three seed, it's the California Letters and Mural. I'll take you for a ride in my big green tractor. We can go slow, cause this park is a disaster. At the number four seed is Bountiful Valley Farms. If you're missing a car hubcap, Disney might have turned it into a sun. Coming in at the number five seed is Sunshine Plaza. The best foods in life are free. Cooking its way to the number six spot is Mission Tortilla Factory. The most extreme seventh seed in the history of this podcast is the X Games Experience. Magic Happens has nothing on the number eight seed. It's Disney's Eureka, a California parade. Sunglasses and road signs. Our number nine seed has got them. It's Dinosaur Jack's Sunglass Shack. Loud noises! Drumming its way to the number 10 spot is the power of blast! Swinging into the 11th seed is the sun wheel. Wild Mouse Mercy Swerve. Parking in the number 12 spot is Mulholland Madness. A number 13 seed that's out of this world, it's Burger Invasion. Quiet on set, playing its way to the number 14 seed is ABC Soap Opera Bistro. Our number 15 seed can't quite figure out what decade it's from. It's the original Paradise Pier billboards. Vacation's all he ever wanted. Rocking its way to the number 16 spot is Santa's Beach Blast. All right, Matt, here are the 16 seeds. Any early favorites for you without revealing your hand? Uh, yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong with your number one seed, right? That's your number one overall. Um, I like that one a lot. I'm yep. I'm actually looking at some upsets here in this uh, for me personally. Number oh, number, oh. number 14, uh, Soap Opera Bistro is going to be really tough against California Letters and Mural. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that matchup. Yeah. Um, and there's there's one other matchup that's striking me in round one, and that's Bountiful Valley Farm versus Burger Invasion. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> brutal battle of the bees there. All right, let's start things off with the number one seed, Superstar Limo versus number 16, Santa's Beach Blast. So we're going to go ahead and assume that most people kind of know Superstar Limo, an attraction that was there on opening day and was basically themed to you, the guest, arriving in LA and driving through Los Angeles to your own movie premiere and you see right. some uh, quote unquote celebrities along the way. <laughs> That's a very generous uh, usage of the word celebrity. So yeah, let's kind of had like a, a recent ABC contract. They said, throw them in. Yeah. Let's, so let's like very quickly go through like room by room just to like refresh people's memory on like what's in there. So the sure. queue is this airport area that has uh, Joan Rivers doing like a celeb <laughs> gossip thing. And, Not and just Joan Rivers, puppet Joan Rivers. It, so it's rubbery puppet Joan Rivers. <laughs> and I remember riding Superstar Limo, and that was the thing that stood out the most in my memory. <laughs> was like, I walked into this thing, and I was terrified at puppet yeah. 
rubber Joan Rivers, and I was like, oh, okay, Uh-oh. all right, I <laughs> don't like that. Nope. So you enter the limo. It's like a little dark ride, you know, slow-moving vehicle. A little video screen pops up where your agent, Swifty LaRue, who is a total scumbag type sleazy dude, is like, you got to get to the Chinese theater. <laughs> and, and like, it's a little bit too real. Like, <laughs> like watching that in 2021. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Don't, don't like that. So then you enter the first room, which is Beverly Hills, where you very quickly drive past Regis Philbin, Antonio <laughs> Banderas, and Melanie Griffith, who were married at the time. And Cindy Crawford in front of a jewelry slash perfume store. So right there, you already realize that this attraction is like a frozen caveman that is like plucked out of 2001. Like, yeah, none of those people are relevant today. And spoiler, none of the other people on this attraction (laughs) are relevant today. So room number two is the Sunset Strip where we see Tim Allen and Jackie Chan. Tim Allen, not aged well. Jackie Chan, just haven't really seen him work much lately. I'm sure he could if he wanted to. He's probably taking a break because he was very talented filmmaker. Yep. Uh, room three is Bel Air, where we see Drew Carey selling star maps. <laughs> and, and there's a bunch of like cutouts of ancient civilizations. There's like a Taj Mahal and like um, Tutankhamun's like mummy tomb. Right. A little bit confusing to me. Like what? I th- they might be trying to like draw a connection between like modern day celebrities and like rulers of the ancient world. That's yeah, my that's I, my literally my best guess. Is is there like a a big history museum in his his area of that? I, you know what? Uh, the Getty. There you go. Got I it. I think yeah, that might be the reference to that. Good job, Kyle. I got um, it all over it. So room room four, the narrator says Malibu, but it's clearly not Malibu. It's Venice Beach <laughs> because there's a huge muscle beach sign and like guys working out. Like that's not the same place at all. No, it's not. And then there's like a little Madame Leota parody, like fortune yeah. teller doing some like Hollywood jokes. Um, and then and then Cher is there in the corner, of course. You want to know what Madame Leota says? What does she say? Agents, execs, producers beyond. Give us a sign. The green light is on. Thank you, Madam Leota. Randomly in Malibu. That is not Malibu. That is Venice Beach. It it rhymes. It does rhyme. <laughs> Pars. Room number five is the studio where you get some paparazzi trying to take your picture. Um, and I think they get tasered. There's some like electrocution sound that plays. And then you <laughs> enter the studio gate um, where there's a bunch of writers pushing a script on you and then a bunch of like old school Hollywood effects. There's like some big Godzilla legs, some dancing farm animals, a scuba guy who's riding a dolphin. And uh, I think I think it's a psycho house reference. There's like a old scary looking mansion cut out. And then the final room, room six is where your movie premiere is in front of the Chinese theater where Whoopi Goldberg's there. And she's like, you're a big star. So in total, there are 10 celebrities that appear throughout the attraction and not a single one of them is working today. So like I, I look at this attraction and I'm like, what would happen if they did not remove it and just like kept updating it over the years? <laughs> Who would be in it? Who would be in it today, right? It would be like some TikTokers. 
or uh, what Timothy Chalamet would be like hanging out in like Beverly Hills. Right. Wouldn't it be the cast of like Elle Fanning, Blackish? Wouldn't it be like an ABC yeah. show or something? Right? Yeah. That's yeah. a good point. Or that modern exactly. Modern Family. <laughs> I was just gonna say Modern Family. Who is Blackish? Uh, What's the name of the actress who just released that huge pop song? Olivia Rodrigo from uh, yeah. High, School Music- High School Musical. The musical, the series cast is just that. It's, <laughs> that's the ride now. <laughs> so um, Drew Carey is still doing. Uh, that's true. Price is Right, by the way. So he is, I, he is the lone relevant person. I think is Whoopi still on The View or whatever she was on? I think she she has been for a really long time. I don't, did she quit? Did she walk out? Uh, I don't know. I she, mean, the fact that we're saying this just <laughs> proves our point. Right. Nobody knows. It's like, <laughs> no. and so, like, I worked on the Warner Brothers lot, and to me, it seemed like the, the best job to have is, is, like, that type of job where it's a daytime show. Yes, it's every single day, but you're there from, like, 8 to 2, and then your day's done. Yeah. You don't have like lines to memorize. You just you just show up like any human being in America. And then you have your weekends <laughs> right. off and they they don't film in the summer usually either. So like so like yeah, they're still working, but it's like it's like those people who are retired but they still work at the parks anyway because they just want something to do. <laughs> right. Yep. That's Whoopi and Drew Carey. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So Universally, people call this the worst Disney attraction ever made. Regularly. Right. Uh not every single person will call it that, but a lot of people do. And and it's like universally mocked and like this is there's a reason it's the number one seat on this bracket, is because it's really the first thing people think about when they think about things that Disney messed up on opening day of California Adventure. So I enjoyed this ride when I was like a little <laughs> kid. And and I think that's how I'm approaching this bracket is like I wasn't a, a woke nine-year-old who was like, the quality of these attractions does not meet the Disney standard. This is the type of entertainment I could find at a boardwalk or a local county fair. I want my money back. Like, I didn't know. And sure. so like going through the ride and seeing Drew Carey, who I recognize from Whose Line Is It Anyway, like I laughed at that and I thought it was cool. Also like, there's that meme going around right now that's uh, blank understood the assignment. Yeah. The creators of this attraction understood the assignment. <laughs> the assignment 20 bucks and some cardboard. The, they're right. The prompt was not great, but they did a good job with what they were supposed to do. Okay. They were like, okay, if we all agree that this park is a park based on California, and we agree that this attraction is in a land based on Hollywood, and that this attraction is about you going on a limo ride through Hollywood, seeing B-list celebrities, this ride does that expertly. <laughs> and, I, and I honestly think that the quality is not that bad. Uh. Uh. Okay, okay you guys are looking at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> I mean, a lot of like the, the sets in there were... So people always talk about like the dark rides at at Disneyland being these like magical, amazing things, but they were a lot like this superstar limo ride when they first happened. They were like the sets were cardboard, neon painted, black light sort of rooms, dark rooms that you would ride through. That's why it's not they didn't do a very good job. It's the the sets are like cardboard, neon, like layered. 
you know, monstrosities. And then the animatronics aren't even animatronics. They're just figures on, like, turntables that just, like, swivel, you know? So this is a bad comparison to make, but, like, how is that any different than Mr. Toad's Wild Ride? I mean, at least in Toad, they're not caricatures of themselves. I mean, that's how it looks. That's how those (laughs) figures look. It looks like you went to a caricature artist and then built models based on them or maquettes based on them. Like, the the modeling is so terrible that it's hard to, like, take it seriously. <laughs> like, these, like, plastic faces, it's very scary. Like, I even at Toad, even yeah. if they're plastic, it's still moly and 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 uh and who am i missing uh <laughs> moly is all that's coming to mind <laughs> moly it's just ratty, Moly's, just uh, moly. ratty moly and badger <laughs> yeah badger <laughs> mac badger so at least they look similar and there's a song that's catchy and all that stuff i think the comparison is between a 1955 attraction and one from 01 <laughs> right like i mean right. you exactly. you for, exactly. you forgive uh, Toad, and because you forgive the Disneyland budget, I can't forgive Superstar Limo, even though it is the perfect signature attraction for this bad park. <laughs> oh, so um, makes sense. No, I get it. Um, let's let's talk about Santa's Beach Blast. So, Please. <laughs> Santa's Beach Blast was a holiday offering at California Adventure, and this is another thing where it's like. The assignment is, it's interesting. Like the, the writing prompt is interesting. They were like, we got to have Santa at California Adventure, but we can't put him in a red coat with a sleigh and reindeers. We got to make him California Santa. So what are we going to do? We're going to give him a big boy t-shirt or putting up Hawaiian shirt. We're going to give him some big boy board shorts. Yeah. And he's just going to be like chilling with some sunglasses on. And uh, yep. that's Santa during Christmas in California. Which it looks pretty stupid, but as someone who grew up in California and now spends winters on the East Coast and holidays on the East Coast, I can appreciate how different Christmas is in Southern California and like why they thought that that was a good idea and like a natural fit for the park and and on theme and all that stuff. So in addition to like Vacation Santa, you've got Disney characters that just show up once in a while, just to like meet and greet. Santa rolls up in a Woody. That's a wood-sided yep. station wagon. Uh, there's, he's usually towing a band, and they're playing like surf rock versions of Christmas music. Some cast members will occasionally like whip out a little limbo stick or something, and they'll do just like summer camp games with kids because I guess there's nothing else to do. <laughs> DCA 1.0. <laughs> um, and there's like a there's like a sexy reindeer. A statue um, that is like posted up. um, Right. Oh my god. Which is that's the weird. That's the really weird part to me is it's like a dancer in this like beach body one piece, and you're like, who modeled this? (laughs) Who who spent months of their life to like sculpt this and paint it and all that. So ultimately, uh, you know, Santa's Beach Blast is kind of a dud to me. And like we're talking about most DCA 1.0 thing. I I, like it was bad. Like DCA 1.0 was bad, but there were parts of it that were still fun to me as a child. 
So when I think about like who I'm advancing each round, I'm not just going in and being like, oh, what's the worst thing? Like, What's the, the most awful idea that was not fun at all? <laughs> because I would be lying to myself if I was like, GCI 1.0 wasn't fun and it was stupid and I hated it. I didn't. I did not at all. So Superstar Limo was something to do that to me was fun at the time. So I'm advancing Superstar Limo. I don't think that best DCA thing needs to be the thing that failed the hardest at all and, or is considered like the uh, an awful attraction or an awful offering. I'm with you like in, in the mindset that these things can also be celebrated. That's kind of why we're doing this because we love DCA 1.0. Um, you didn't mention Santa's Beach Blast, uh, another contender for our highest Disney character, and that is Walk Around Max. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, my yeah. Man, my man's eyes. A little squinty, <laughs> maybe a little tinted red. We'll have to go back to the tape on that one. Um, and it's also like Santa's Beach Blast. I thought it was like a one-time offering. There's a lot of things that DCA 1.0 did one time. And a lot of it was these kind of like street party celebration things. They'll do Electronica and the Mad Tea Party. And they'll do like these things like one-time get them out, get the next thing in. This thing lasted for four years. This was the holiday celebration for DCA from 2003 to 2007. Like you go to Disneyland, huge Christmas tree in, in, in town square. The castle looks beautiful. Everything's great. You walk across the plaza, <laughs> California letters or candy canes and Santa's riding a surfboard inside. That's, that's DCA in a nutshell right there. And I love it so much. I think that's so funny. You nailed it with Superstar Limo. You nailed it with Santa's Beach Party. I won't take any more time uh, on this matchup. I'm going to actually agree with you. Uh, Superstar Limo is definitely the more DCA 1.0 thing, uh, especially when you match it up against something like a holiday uh, celebration that is just Santa and some cover bands. Matt, do you agree with our decision to move on the number one seed here? Yeah, I mean, there was an acapella group there that needs to be mentioned, <laughs> Groove 66. I mean, <laughs> no one right. no one wants to... to to go uh, through a whole day at DCA and not see acapella. <laughs> There's also something uh, there that I just found hilarious. It was called Santa's Sandcastle, and it was just this generic sandcastle uh, that <laughs> yeah. provided a backdrop. And I just thought, how DCA 1.0 to have this generic thing that no one cares about and has no identity. So even though I liked some of the DCA 1.0 aspects of Santa uh, and his celebration there, Superstar Lemo is a su superior 1.0 identity uh, uh, attraction. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move on to our next matchup. It is, oh boy, it is number eight, Disney's Eureka, a California parade versus Dinosaur Jack's Sunglass Shack. Here we go. Here we go, Chris. Help me out with this Eureka. We got to talk go. about it together because, uh, so I remember seeing this live as like a kid that's impressive because i do not i mean I, I i said when we were doing parades i i wasn't a parade kid I, we weren't a parade family so so I, I i never saw this yeah i definitely did because i remembered the the bungee drummer that we'll talk about in a little bit but i didn't remember it was really this bad this is a celebration of california uh that was the daytime parade at dca it was a day one uh, it lasted a couple of years. 
basically the entire thing is that Eureka is this like deity that presides over this parade and she will take multiple forms as the parade goes on in the different like floats. So unfortunately, <laughs> these floats and segments are broken up by what else Disney? Race. So we have the Aztec inspired uh, Hispanic California, as it was titled. You have the angel of the city of angels, Los Angeles, who was a black Eureka. You had the uh, sun worshiping beach beauty, which was a white Eureka. And then you had the Chinese opera goddess of Chinatown, who was a Chinese Eureka. Uh, and then you had just like a golden state goddess at the very end. So not only was like segmenting this parade by people like this, the wrong move. <laughs> they, the soundtrack changed as the parade went on. So there's like this Latin influence when you get to the, the first float. Uh, and it's led by what else? A man on a tricycle with a massive pinata. Because what else, what else would you do if you're, you're celebrating the history of Hispanic California? Then bring out the pinata. Am I right? Let's just start off with the little racy right at the top. And also, I'll say in each of these segments, none of the people who were like dressed or participating in it were of the descent that they were with of of that float. The parade. That's the portion. that's the worst part to me is like you have eight women in folklorico dresses dancing yes. in front of the like um, Mexican American float, yeah, and they're all white women. It's like yeah. I don't yikes. know, yeah. Big yikes. And then the same with the, the city of L.A. Not only does like, is this a, 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 a like black goddess, but they turn the soundtrack to hip hop. And so now the, the street dancers are like doing this like break dance routine. And <laughs> I think there was like one black person in it. And then, of course, they're like, maybe. No, maybe that wasn't this one. No, I'm pretty sure it was. The, it was this one. Yeah, they were, they were doing a bunch of body rolls. It was just like Backstreet Boys choreo, body roll, every other and move. Were, and there were like two guys hanging from like Watts Tower, yes. uh, like sandcastles or something. And they were bungeed up and their drums went all around. And all they did was just like hop around the sandcastle playing along to the, I don't know. The, the sun worshiping one was very like X Games. Uh, there was like a, a person in the middle that was on another like bungee, but was in like a, a half pipe almost and was on inline skates so that they would just be inline skating for eternity for the rest of time. He's just bungeed up going back and forth. And my favorite part of, uh, of that one was in the parade I watched, there was a, a person above the Eureka that was on a jet ski. Yes. But then there's also versions in which it's just somebody on a surfboard that's huh. teetering. Have you ever seen somebody, maybe in San Diego, have you ever seen somebody out in the ocean here in California on a jet ski? Because I envision that more of like a Florida tropical experience. I Here in Northern California, Santa Cruz area, no one's riding jet skis. So... Uh, on Mission Bay, on San Diego Bay, the thing is that like you can't ride a jet ski and where the the breakers are. It's kind of something that has right. to be done on like a more like uh, placid body of water. So 
So yeah, it would have to be on like an actual bay or something like that. But in the ocean, not you'd have to be out pretty far, I think. Chinatown. Oh boy, here we go. Absolutely brutal. <laughs> the gag of the Chinatown float was a Chinese takeout box on stilts chasing a person dressed as a fortune cookie. <sighs> so bad. So, so it bad. was so painful to just like watch this YouTube video of it. <laughs> I can't even imagine seeing it in person. That would hurt. At least the person with the Chinese carryout box has giant chopsticks. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they made it as authentic as they could, guys. Oh, my God. This is terrible. And then that was... And then that even was followed up, or did I already skip it? That was the same, yes it is, same flow as the Golden Gate Bridge. The best, the best part of (laughs) this whole parade is the Golden Gate Bridge puppet. (laughs) Just two guys, oh my God. They're on stilts. They're on stilts to make it like gigantic. It's the best thing I've ever seen in my whole life. Like people love the little park hopper costume that's on the Disney map and people love the goofball, but the Golden Gate Bridge stilt guys are so underappreciated. Yep. That's our, that's our new podcast mascot right there. The Golden Gate stilts guys. (laughs) Those guys have three dance moves. All right. The, (laughs) The first one is they do a little, they do like a little shrug with the bridge and it makes it do like a little (laughs) <laughs> it's like it's jumping, but they but the guys' faces when they do it, they're like, like like they're kind of like teasing the audience by doing the little shrug. Then they do this like penguin like waddle thing, and they yeah. wave back and forth, and it and it like kind of like buckles the bridge a little bit. And then they do this like uh, squat thing. They're like oompa loompas, where like one squats while one's up, and then it makes the bridge kind of like wave. These guys are like pros with that thing. <laughs> it's so fun to watch them do it. But they, even they, could not escape from being racist because they were wearing little Chinese hats. Right. <sighs> right. It's awful. And Golden Gate Bridge isn't even near Chinatown, San Francisco. They, they didn't even need that. And I think that's what they were attempting to go for. The finale is just a bunch of like dudes on, I don't know what these are called. Maybe you they're guys called, can help. They're called. So it's <laughs> funny because I didn't know what they were called either. I was like, so I went to type it into Google. I was like, jumping stilts? And that's literally what they're called. Jumping they're stilts. Jumping, <laughs> jumping stilts? Yeah. Bunch of guys on like jumping stilts that were wearing like BMX helmets mm. that had like crafted uh, like sun rays on it. Like. <laughs> Like they took them to the local elementary school and that was the arts and craft was decorate this as a sun. This is terrible. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's awful. I don't even it's know awful. what to say. I, I didn't even know about this one. Like this is so bad. Uh, There was the floats dedicated to the sun wheel even like you took your worst icon and like made it into floats. Mm-hmm. It's like really the only thing cool about this besides the Golden Gate Bridge, <laughs> which is <laughs> it's just the coolest thing I've ever seen, is the, the the Dia de los Muertos part where the people have the giant puppeteer skeletons. The <laughs> the Home Depot <laughs> Halloween skeletons. Yes. I love that. Uh I gotta tell you. Oh that. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Me too. And and that's like a unique parade element because me and Kyle and Tess, we went through and we watched every Disney 
Land Parade that is documented. And I don't remember seeing like a backpack, like puppet thing like that ever before. So it was really cool for me to see that. In addition to the skeletons, they had um, my second favorite part, a guy with a giant Hollywood bowl backpack yes. that had there was a little mini conductor and he had these little two sticks <laughs> he that he would like pull to make him conduct but it was like disproportionate with how fast he pulled it with how fast the guy would move so he would just be pulling him at a regular speed and the puppet would be like <laughs> so funny i love that oh man uh it's up against dino jack's sunglass shack which was this massive pink dinosaur that was next to Mulholland Madness. So Mulholland Madness, we'll talk about it, but that's Goofy's Fly School currently. So if you think about the park now and you're looking at Mulholland Madness, to the right of it was this big dinosaur, <laughs> like a Route 66 pull over to the side of the road attraction dinosaur, which they nailed it because that area, that walkway that went through um, that area was called Route 66. Which is funny because now Route 66 is in Cars Land, which is on really the other side of the park. Um, yeah, and also Route 66. What did it end at? What did it come to a finish at? Burger Invasion. <laughs> that was the the weenie of Route 66 was McDonald's Burger Invasion. <laughs> McDonald's is the weenie of every single interstate in America, so that is on theme. Hey, you're right. You're right. This shack did indeed sell sunglasses. Uh, it also sold things that you would always want when you're at a at a theme park, which is like neon wigs. Who doesn't want a good bright green neon wig when you're walking through a Disney park? Um, and then like jewelry and tchotchkes and stuff. So it very much met, I feel like, it, its theme. It's a sunglass shack. Uh, this was originally supposed to be Gertie's glasses, homage to Gertie the dinosaur, which is popular thought as the first animated film, uh, even though its animator created a couple of animations before it, just didn't perform with Gertie. That was the big breakthrough as the vaudeville actor would perform and interact with the dinosaur behind him, uh, which was pretty innovative for the time. And so this, so actually I was reading and maybe I misinterpreted this, but I'm going to make it lore now. This is just what actually happened was that they wanted it to be pay homage to Gertie the dinosaur, but how it actually turned out did not look like Gertie the dinosaur. So they're like, this is Dino Jack now. This is no longer Gertie. We can't we can't diminish Gertie's name with this awful looking building. Whether I misinterpreted that text or not, who cares? I've been wrong before. So I, I don't know if you've looked at the Yesterland Werner Weiss article on it, but he mentions the Gertie thing. There is a Gertie in Florida at MGM or Disney Hollywood Studios and Dinosaur Jack was designed I have never heard of this architectural style before programmatic roadside vernacular architecture cuz that's I was like oh those roadside dinosaurs that I drive through in the desert but it's based on like the donut like the big donut at the Manchester Donuts or whatever in LA so it's supposed to look like it's designed by someone who's not an architect. So, but I mean, you you could still make that same argument and be like, they they just made that up. <laughs> like after it came out, so stupid looking. <laughs> they claim it's intentional. So, some of these are really cool, like California crazy style architecture, where the thing that you're getting looks like, you know, what's inside for sale, like the donut shops. Right. But this one, what's 
The dinosaur Gertie at Disney's Hollywood Studios is awesome. It's like in Echo Lake and it looks like a giant brontosaurus and obviously it sells ice cream. The one at California Adventure, <laughs> just the way that it it looks cheaper. I don't know. Oh, how, yeah. Like, how did they make everything look worse? I It's a it's a miracle. <laughs> they have Seriously. another. They have a model in another theme park <laughs> that they own that they could have. Right easily modeled this after and instead they made this look worse and Gertie or fake Gertie or Jack is wearing sunglasses which just looks ridiculous like they didn't have to make it look ridiculous but then they they were like oh no let's make it look more cliche it looks like you could knock on it and it would just be like hollow fiberglass <laughs> like this building is just like a <laughs> dong dong dong, dong. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man. All right. So that that's our matchup here. I think, Chris, I'm gonna I'm gonna go like Oh man, this one's tough. I don't really enjoy either of these, right? I will never watch Eureka ever again. Uh hopefully. And Dino Jack isn't there and I, I don't really care that it's not there anymore. I think just for argument's sake, I'm gonna go ahead and move along Disney's Eureka only because it was an ambitious attempt at like edutainment which was a a big thing for disney at the time and especially at dca and we'll see it again at golden dreams to kind of like look at how cool and diverse we are and it missed the mark as much of dca things missed the mark even if the intentions were there um dino jack was just like i don't and that is what it was (laughs) you know like even if it missed the mark for gertie it was always going to be a sunglass place. Like it was always going to be this like roadside attraction thing. Disney's Eureka just feels like one of those DCA 1.0 things for me. I'm going to move that one on. So I know you were like, I could not remember the Eureka music. If I tried, I watched Eureka probably six or seven times. And there are a lot of, like we talked about issues with this parade but I kind of enjoy watching it. I don't know why. <laughs> and 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 so I found myself like keep clicking on it like again and again and just like rewatching it. I'm like, why? So then I went back and I watched Magic Happens, which was the winner of our best Disneyland parade bracket. And Magic Happens felt super boring to me after watching it like immediately after Eureka. I'm like, why is it? And I noticed this because there's like so much room in between each parade unit in Magic Happens. In Eureka, it's like so deep. And I mean that like there's lots of layers. It's very dynamic. There are a lot of things happening in this parade. And to me, a good parade doesn't need like a story. It doesn't need to be like super, super, um, you know, like it doesn't need to tie strings together and that kind of stuff like a movie does or something it just needs to be really like eye-catching and something that's going to hold your attention while you're standing there for 25 minutes and like eureka really does that for me i'm like oh there's a person doing a, a bmx manual ollie whatever <laughs> oh like there's a person like swinging from a tower oh there's a person doing some bouncy stilts there's so much going on and i think that that's a really like good thing that this parade does and then I watched Light Magic, and then it reminded me of how good Light Magic was. And there's another <laughs> parade that's just really misunderstood, and that they met their brief well. And I think everyone just needs to like give it a break, you know. 
Uh, and just <laughs> all right. Let's just appreciate it. Which it. Let's just yeah. Let's just appreciate it for what it is. Uh, I'm also advancing Eureka. Uh, Dinosaur Jack. I don't know that you need a sunglass shop in an amusement park. Like the only people who are going to shop there are people who forgot their sunglasses. And like you can do that at a normal gift shop. So um, also like I clearly didn't get the like reference that they were making with that roadside programmatic vernacular. And that is like super DCA 1.0. Like it's all inside <laughs> jokes and I only get some of them. So um, points to the dinosaur, but I'm going with Eureka. Uh, Matt, do you agree with that decision? Yes, yes. I, I think that's a great decision. The other, the parade just has so many DCA 1.0 elements uh, and Gertie's just, or Jack is just limited. Super. Cool. So let's move on to the next matchup. It's number four, Bountiful Valley Farm versus 13, Burger Invasion. So Bountiful Valley Farm was this little tiny corner of the park where you could do any of the following things. Uh, look at some tractors from the outside. Uh, learn about California agriculture by reading some signs. Uh, buying agriculture merch, which, you know, who doesn't want a Caterpillar t-shirt? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, you can look at some plants. They got some flowers growing and maybe some corn. You can play on a water feature if it is really hot outside. Or you can sit on a bench and enjoy this very quiet corner of the park where there is nobody because nobody wanted to go here. So, yes, this is boring. I personally really appreciate places like this in an amusement park because I am someone who is introverted in that I gather energy from being alone and being in quiet spaces. <laughs> so, like, a day at an amusement park can be really, really tiring for me. Just being around so many people talking to so many people that are in my party that I love like taking a break, stepping away, hopping on the Mark Twain, like finding a little spot where, that. you know, another quiet spot that uh, we have been to together, uh, Animation Academy, where they yep. show all of those like Disney music videos. That's another great spot. Um, oh, I appreciate, I, I appreciate places like this uh, inside an amusement park. Burger Invasion. So, I like McDonald's. I am a McDonald's <laughs> eater. Um, I was researching Burger Invasion, like I said at the beginning of the show, and I was honey hungry for some McDonald's, so I had to go eat some McDonald's. Like, when I went to California Adventure as a kid, I could eat at Pizza Umbao Mao, or eat at Taste Pilot <laughs> Grill, or eat at Burger Invasion, and my parents were like, where do you want to eat? I'm like, I, of course I want to eat at Burger Invasion because I like McDonald's and I want McDonald's. This is another thing where like, as a kid, you don't want to be like, oh, it's not on theme. Like, I can get McDonald's anywhere. It's like, I want the thing that I like. And to me, yeah. it's McDonald's in this moment. Conestoga fries, Harbor Galley fries in Disneyland Park. Have some great memories, just absolutely crushing French fries. When I was a little kid, too scared to ride the Haunted Mansion. <laughs> or, uh, I mean, I would get fries and be walking through the park and not even sit down and just be like drinking the French fries, basically. <laughs> like not even using my hands to eat them. Just be like, yeah. boom. <laughs> By the time I get to Indiana Jones, like they're gone. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I love Burger Invasion. I like that it kind of represents that brand synergy that Disney was attempting with California Adventure. Bountiful Valley Farm is like funny that an attraction like that existed, but I think Burger Invasion like best encapsulates the company and the park at that time. 
And like, I have been back to California Adventure and I have tried that new whatever garden grill that's there now. Yeah. And I've, I've eaten it and been like, I, I wish I had Burger Invasion <laughs> right now instead. So I'm advancing Burger Invasion. You know what's interesting and why I think Burger Invasion actually worked really well is because, well, I'll speak for my own family, is that McDonald's was always seen as like such a treat growing up where it was like, sure. we didn't eat it very often. And if we did, it was like, this is a, it's a big day. We're getting McDonald's today, usually on road trips, usually like, you know, mom's too busy and, and needs to just feed us real quick. So we'll swing by McDonald's and it was always the best. Uh, so when I would go to DCA as a kid and see this massive burger building with the golden arches on it, there's nothing else I would want to eat at DCA that day. Like that, that was not only was I at Disney, but I could also have McDonald's. Kyle's day out. Are you joking? This is amazing. So like I can see that appeal very clearly. What's really funny about Burger Invasion is like the building is super, super themed. The menu has the the menu items like floating in space. Uh, there weren't a ton of menu items. There is you got Big Mac with fries, double cheeseburger with fries, chicken sandwich with fries, chef salad, a triple thick milkshake, which is the actual opposite of what Chris is drinking today. A McFlurry, apple pie, of course, and then like a soda fountain. Um, so everything was super well themed. And then you turn around to the seating area and it's that like 90s, early 2000s, like plastic branding wrap. And it's just a bunch of like golden arches on blue tables. And I just think that is so, so McDonald's of them that it almost makes me think that like they were pushing for more, more, more. And Disney was like, fine, you can have the table wraps. We don't care anymore. Just get, stop asking for more. You have the SS Rustworthy too. Take it. Uh, so yeah, I, I definitely see that appeal. What I love so much about Bountiful Valley Farm is that they just went so hard on the concept. They like, there's gardening planter boxes with like corn and lettuce and caterpillar showed up and it's like different variations of tractors. Can you climb on them? Nope, but they're there for you to look at. And then also like the little kids, uh, like play water area and do you remember maybe maybe matt do you remember when they took this out for bugs land people were like there better be a water feature because my kid loved the bountiful valley farm water feature as if that was like the main attraction i mean it was the main it was the only thing you could do anything <laughs> with so and and if you're a parent and your kid and i say this all the time in the podcast like your kids do not want to be in strollers all day and then there's nothing worse than your kid like trying to walk at a theme park when they're like three because right. they're just everywhere it's just a terrible <laughs> thing for like a parent to deal with so if you can find a splash and play area or like what you find in toontown like that is such a win even though like the theme is usually terrible um, the it it works for parents, so I can totally see why like people really wanted some kind of play area or even splash area. Chris, you didn't mention the uh shopping locations within Bountiful Valley Farm, <laughs> uh Santa Rose Seed and Supply. It's a nice little play on Santa Rosa, which isn't necessarily known for its corn agriculture. It's more of its like wine, but we'll let it go. Um, it's a small gardening shop that had shirts and stuff. San Andreas Shakes. <laughs> Woo. Love some earthquake humor. <laughs> Bunch of desserts. Bountiful Valley Farmer's Market, which was like a lunch spot. And then the Caterpillar Cart, which was just essentially like a little pop-up 
stand that I think they sold like Kodak disposable cameras and film at, which we still bring to the parks these these days. It's great. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> um, and then what I really liked about this area is how authentic to like California agriculture uh, aesthetic it is. So they had a huge mural on the the uh, what was it? Tough to be a bug building that was this like agricultural uh, vista with like rolling hills and a, a red barn. But even better, the entrance to this place had a huge like cardboard cutout two dimensional sign of a f- like fruit basket sitting on top of crates. If you drive down. 101 from the Bay Area to Southern California, you see those signs all the time. That's like, true. It's either that or it's like the farmer himself holding whatever crop is growing in that field, a bunch of two-dimensional cows. Like that is <laughs> that is what you see. I love the dedication to it. Even if it was just one of those superstar limo things where they're like, we didn't have enough budget, so we're going to make this wooden sign for the entrance of this area of the park. Chris, for me, it's Bountiful Valley Farm. It's this edutainment attempt. Uh, it's this place in which they really dedicated to some puns, which is very DCA 1.0. It feels like California. Like if you're going to a place that is supposed to show you what California is, you can't talk about California without talking about its agriculture. Um, you can find McDonald's anywhere, uh, specifically that one. So especially at a park in which there is literally a McDonald's across the street from the entrance plaza of this resort. I'm going with Bountiful Valley Farm, which means Matt's breaking his first tie. Wow. Wow. This is a tough one. Like, even from the start, didn't I mention this one at the jump? Like, this was going to be a tough matchup? Yeah. Um, I, yeah. It, I'm i struggling with this one a little bit. I love the California crazy. I, I love Burger Invasion for the fact that it represents what is so bizarre about dca 1.0 where it's like hey we have a theme park but one of the themes is a burger like that's <laughs> weird and very dca 1.0 burger means nothing though to me as it relates to california and sure. bountiful valley farms means everything cal agra the fact that you could buy seeds you can't buy <laughs> seeds at the land pavilion at epcot but you could buy seeds here and that's a very dca 1.0 let's just go all in right i'm going bountiful valley farms because michael eisner loved this idea and if michael oh eisner is anything he's cliche and so this is very cliche, very DCA 1.0. Again, buying the seeds. And the thing that really tipped me off were the denim button-up shirts that oh, yeah. you could buy that <laughs> yes. said California yeah. Adventure. And I just I found that to be a very ridiculous thing that you would walk around a farm ag ag inspired land and then buy a denim <laughs> shirt button up. It's got to be this. There's so many more layers. It's so much more DCA 1.0. Love it. All right. Let's move on to our next matchup. It's number five, Sunshine Plaza versus number 12, Mahalan Madness. Mahalan Madness is this crazy, what, crazy mouse? Is that Mad Mouse? Crazy Mouse attraction? Wild Mouse. Uh, Wild Mouse. Wild Mouse. <laughs> Wild Mouse. That is at many, many uh, amusement park in America. Uh, you're up high. You're t- taking turns a little too fast. Uh, usually they're very short in length, and this is the same thing. Uh, 
Goofy Sky School. It's literally the same exact thing, just different theming. This theme had a massive map of Mulholland Drive, which is what this is themed after. Uh, it was sponsored by Alamo at one point. So Alamo put their little logo at the corner of the map as if this was like a, a roadside, like a roadside. Here's your California map as you're driving. Not a whole lot of theming. You go into the queue and it looks like Dino Jack. It's just a bunch of like road signs, stop signs, speed limit signs, arrow signs pointing different directions. Like as if they just last minute, like give us all the construction signs because we need to decorate this place right now. Doors open in five minutes. Let's get this thing decorated. It's up against Sunshine Plaza. Whole baby. Sunshine <laughs> Plaza was essentially the center of this theme park. In fact, it was supposed to be able to be seen from the gates uh, outside of DCA when you're looking at the letters, looking at the mural, looking at the Golden Gate. Between the Golden Gate, you're supposed to see the little top of the sun. Uh, so there was some very layered postcardness happening with this plaza. But this plaza, once you entered the park and exited the kind of like little shopping street, it opened up. You had this massive sun that was supposed to be reflecting the actual sun to shine bright, but they built it facing the wrong way. <laughs> so they, it faced north. So the sun never hit the front of the Sunshine Plaza statue. So what did they do? They built reflectors that looked like these big like clover or like, yeah, like clovers that were facing it so that the sun would bounce off and onto the sun and it never actually worked. <laughs> I don't know, like, worked. I don't know how they drew that up, that, like, fix, where they're like, okay, it's not reflecting, so what do we do? Let's build reflectors to reflect onto the reflector, and then maybe that will cause the reflection. The reflector to reflect. <laughs> like, I feel like that Michael Eisner drew it on a napkin at Club 33 <laughs> or something. It's like, here's what we got to do. And... You kind of felt like they were ashamed of this thing. It, when they drew it up, it looked cool and awesome. And then when they built it, it infamously is considered looking like a hubcap to a car. Um, and it kind of does. It's not as grandiose and as mesmerizing as people really wanted it to be. And it sits atop a fountain that is supposed to replicate like waves crashing in that like sure, but it also was tiled like a, like a swimming pool, like a, uh, a hotel swimming pool would be tiled. Yes. So there was this like weird middle of a mall feel that you got out of this entire thing. Uh, and that is incredible. You knew that they were not too happy with how this turned out by the amount of things that they put in front of it at all times during this park's history. Until it was taken out, it was the center of the park. So they would put stages in front of it for performances, the X Games experience. Part of it happened there. High School Musical 3 had a pep rally right in front of it that just blatantly blocked it. Like they didn't want anyone to see this thing. That'd be the same thing as if like they put up a huge stage in front of a castle at Disneyland and we're like, this is it. We're having a promotion. People would be absolutely pissed, but no one cared about this thing at all. <laughs> um, so these two things, uh, I'm going to go with the Sunshine Plaza on this one only because Mahalan Madness exists in a form currently and i don't think that it's theming necessarily was dcae i mean it was like you know thrown together and it was a, a massive yeah. map covering 
covering the beams, but there's not a whole lot to it. The the center of the park, the, what was supposed to be the icon next to Grizzly Peak, uh, that just absolutely did not happen. A misfire in all realms. It's number five seed for me. Yeah, I, I don't like Wild Mouse roller coasters. Um, didn't back then, don't now. I remember <laughs> the wait time being like, kind of like way too long for an attraction like that. So I think I maybe only did it one time. A Sunshine Plaza. The music loop, um, lots of Beach Boys, Ton some uh, Mamas and Papas, yep. California, and of course, Randy Newman. <laughs> I love LA. <laughs> we love it. Um, go Kings, go baby. So, <laughs> oh, so like that's another example of like what I keep talking about. Doesn't seem like it belongs in a Disney park, but those are good songs. Like those are those are great songs. Like when we sit in that plaza. And take a little breather because there's no one in this amusement park because no one likes it. You can jam out to some like solid tunes, man. So um, like that's what DCA 1.0 is to me. So I'm also going with Sunshine Plaza. Do you agree with that one, Matt? Yeah, that's a, that's a no-brainer. I think Sunshine <laughs> Plaza could have been number one, the number one overall seed. <laughs> Honestly, oh my yes, I think it's that. DCA 1.0, lack of identity, failure to launch, misguided ideas, um, the mall feel. I mean, there's so many things that are so odd that it's it's hard for me not to choose that. Mulholland Madness had its issues, uh, but it's, it's not nearly as DCA 1.0 <laughs> as Sunshine Plaza. It's just not. All right, well, let's hop over to the other side of the bracket. We've got number two, Golden Dreams versus 15, Paradise Pier Billboard. So Golden Dreams is an attraction I never did. Uh, yeah, and in California, as a school child, you grow up uh, taking California state history in fourth grade um, and, and partially in fifth grade, primarily in fourth grade. So, like, the, the map builds the attraction as like a history of the state. I'm like, I literally already know all of that. I don't need to do it. So I checked it out to, to prepare for this bracket. It was my first time I'm experiencing it. (laughs) Basically like a 20 minute movie history class. (laughs) And before I go any further, I think it's really important to state that uh, according to my sources, this is the only Disney attraction ever to feature Tommy Lasorda, which is like a, a tremendous, tremendous accomplishment. And and I think we should praise Golden Dreams for that. <laughs> and oh. like I wanted to make a Dodgers joke about like it feeling so long ago. But when people watched Golden Dreams for the first time, that Dodgers World Series was 13 years old. So that would be the same as us today watching the last New York Yankees World Series. Wow. Isn't that crazy wow. to think about? Like that that, that Kirk Gibson home run was so long ago. Wow. It seems like. Um so yeah, shout out to Tommy Lasorda. I don't know that we'll ever get a chance to talk to about him again on Mouse Madness, so I wanted to uh to bring that up. Uh, I do want to <laughs> say Tommy Lasorda is not a Californian. Uh and so like I kind of was confused by like are these people from California, I have the live same in California. Issue. I don't really same know. Issue. Anyways, like I'm getting way too ahead of myself. That's like the final montage of the the show. 
Jackson but basically, <laughs> Jackson, like what? You go into this theater. Uh, you you enter underneath this rotunda thing that's some San Francisco landmark. I don't know what it's called. You probably do because you're a Bay Area kid. I don't. Um, and Whoopi Goldberg comes alive. There are these big statues of Califia, and Whoopi Goldberg gets projection mapped onto the face of this like goddess statue. And probably the second use of projection mapping ever after the busts at on the Haunted Mansion. Um, this this predates uh, World of Color and um, that one in Florida that I like with um, Jordan Fisher. What's that one called? <laughs> what? He sings this song. Every dance you made. Where they project on the castle and it's so good and everyone loves it and cries. It's called uh, Happily Ever After. No. That's the one. Anyways. So, that's a good that's a good show by the way. It's so good. But like we might have California Golden Dreams to thank for that because if they had not perfected the projection mapping of Whoopi Goldberg's face <laughs> under the Califia statue, we might not have Happily Ever After today. That's what All I'm right. trying to say. All so right. this this movie it's got like a bunch of different vignettes of like people from the history of California. You've got some native peoples, some Spanish missionaries, some gold rushers, some Chinese Americans, some Japanese immigrants, some irrigation technology, um, some national parks, a Hollywood studio making Wizard of Oz. Um, Steve Jobs is there. And like Whoopi Goldberg is in the background the whole time, acting like this little guardian angel who's kind of like pulling the strings and like orchestrating all of these like major moments in this California state history. I don't know why it reminds me of an SNL skit. Like one of those skits that they like recorded in advance. Yes. Um, like the music video things. I, I, I kept laughing at it. Like, like it was, it was like slightly overacted. Oh, beyond. This show really doesn't have any redeeming qualities to me other than it's probably really empty and cold inside the theater and is a nice place to be on a hot day. Going up against Paradise Pier billboards, which um, I remember the Paradise Pier billboards being brawny, Coca-Cola, Copper Tone, and Burger Invasion. But the original ones was uh, like a photo op and yeah. a Games of the Boardwalk and Coca-Cola and Burger Invasion. So like, the fact that I mean, I don't think that those other two were around for very long. Might have only been a couple of years before it was that four Brawny Coke Copper Tone Burger Invasion, but yep. like that speaks to DCA 1.0 and the <laughs> brand partnerships they had going on, and like how important that was for Disney and for the park. That's Super 1.0 for me. I don't think they were like super low quality, tacky, terrible sign. I think the art on them was like pretty period appropriate. And I thought they fit in pretty okay with the theme of Paradise Pier. So I'm going with Paradise Pier billboards in upset over cool. Golden Dreams, which I find to be kind of uh, pointless. Yep, you you nailed it with Golden Dreams. Uh, I will say that they like blew up the Chinese laborers working on the railroad in that, the middle yeah, of the show. That was not needed. And then just moved on. Yep. Just moved on. They're like, okay, now we're at William Mulholland bringing water to Los Angeles. We're not going to let this soak up. The end montage is supposed to be like really emotional. This is when Tommy Lasorda, Jackson 5, anyone that's not from California shows up in this California tribute. And Walt um, Disney shows up too, of course. And everyone yeah, of course. stands and cheers. 
Of course, of course. Um, who's also not from California. And it it's just so, so cheesy. It's so cheesy. And after you already sat through this, like, I don't know, 20-minute show, you sit through another five minutes of this song playing and just, like, vignettes and people showing up and, fa- like, they were trying to really tug at those heartstrings and it just, it so missed the mark. The billboards, yeah, I don't remember the games and I don't remember the picture op at all. Um, I do remember the Coke one and I do remember Burger Invasion. But it doesn't feel like these are necessarily period appropriate. It feels like Burger Invasion is in a completely different style from like the Coca-Cola one, which would be like that Coca-Cola craze. Um, and then the photo op is just like, Somebody came up and just like drew <laughs> an interpretation of of the sun and and the Mickey head uh, California screaming. Yeah, in this matchup though, Chris, I'm going with the higher seed uh, only because it still aligns with that kind of California edutainment that they were attempting to do. Um, I never saw it, and I don't know if there's a ton of people that are like Golden Dreams diehards, but it lasted for a pretty long time. Yes, and it, it involves it involves Whoopi. It involves this emotional ending that doesn't have anything to do with California. It's this grandiose thing that they thought they had something with and they missed the mark. I love that DCA. We thought we had something. We just missed the mark. I'm going Golden Dreams. Matt, you're breaking another tie. Wow, man. This is a tough one. This is a Lehigh, Duke, uh, Norfolk (laughs) State, Missouri. This has the 15-2 upset potential that I didn't anticipate going into the show. Uh, This is interesting for me. I'm going to say because Golden Dreams has the rotunda and the rotunda was so great that they were able to retain it as they move forward Mm. to Paradise Gardens Park and the Little Mermaid attract. I mean, that's how great it was. So well thought out. Something that you would want in a California style park. That's why they go to the Carthay Circle Theater and implement the restaurant and make that the weenie of... Buena Vista Street. It's really hard for me to believe that that's a very DCA 1.0 thing because it works so well. I'm oh. going with Paradise Pier billboards oh. because I think anytime you're promoting <laughs> something else in another land, <laughs> in another land, like they did with Burger Invasion. Hey, there's nothing great to eat in Paradise Pier. Go somewhere else. Uh, I think that that's a very DCA 1.0 thing, and I'm sticking with the Paradise Pier billboards in the upset. Uh, I respect it. Also, the rotunda for everybody who's screaming at your speakers is indeed the Palace of the Fine Arts in San Francisco. It's amazing. Thank you. Thank it's amazing. You. They did a, such a bang-up job with that. Oh, yeah. All right, we're moving on. It's number seven, X Games Experience with an X, no E, versus number 10, The Power of Blast Show. Um, X Games Experience was one of those summer promotions to get people into a park that no one wanted to go into. So what's the best thing to get the youth in? Extreme sports, baby. It would get me in. Like, that's all I'm saying <laughs> is, is I would be so into that. And we look at things like the Food and Garden Festival today. X Games, it's like the same thing. It's just it's just more fun. Oh, is, is it? Is yes, it <laughs> yes, it is. So it's funny because this is the exact lineup of things that you could see at my hometown's county fair. Like 
dirt bike race, some sort of half pipe shenanigans, BMX tricks. Like there was, there was this kind of exposition at my county fair back home. So when I saw this, I was like, if I showed up to DCA and there is a half pipe on the bay, <laughs> I'm going to be like, why, why did they do this? this? You could see this literally everywhere, especially in Southern California. But I guess if you're saying this is a California park, what's more California than like Brink going down a half pipe in his inline skates? Um. So they hung this huge tacky banner from the Golden Gate Bridge, which is very DCA 1.0, to just print something at the local print shop and then hang it over something. And not only that, but they transformed the uh, the shop that was attached to Golden Dreams into a, an arcade that they called, of course, the Xcade. Uh, and you can play a bunch of like extreme sports arcade games. Those like jet ski esque ones, the ones that you can like stand on a, a skateboard simulator. They do all that good stuff. There is rock performances, of course. There was BMX flat ground, uh, where Cars Land is now was once the Timon parking lot that was opened up, so you could leave the park that was still partially gated around, and you can watch these dirt bike races and trick things, and <laughs> sit in a outdoor theater and watch. Watch these things if you wanted to. Um, it, what a silly who I don't know who came up with this. I would love to just like be in the mind of like we need to get people in. X Games was the first thing that came to mind, and I know that like the X Games were also happening in LA that summer, and it was this kind of like synergistic promotion. Whatever, who cares? But still, feels feels a little desperate, which was DCA 1.0. Uh, it's up against the power of Blast. Blast was a Broadway hit. Um, apparently, I had never seen it or heard of it. And the power of Blast was a condensed version of the Broadway show, which is essentially what they've been doing since, uh, taking Disney Broadway shows, condensing them into 45 minutes, and boom, there you have the Hyperion show. I watched this entire thing, and it was basically... Chris's nightmare. Thank you. <laughs> we talked about Thank you this. for identifying that before I had to say it. We uh we talked about big brass, loud drums in our Pixar score bracket because Chris hates it, and that's all this was. Big brass, loud drums. I can't imagine sitting in it. You said that Golden Dreams felt like an SNL skit. This felt like an SNL skit. Yes. Like yes, over it did. the top <laughs> drum line. Like that was absurd. You know, it's okay for Disney to to shorten their own Broadway shows because that's their intellectual property and they can do whatever they want with it. But to take like somebody's show that's on Broadway that's meant to be full length, like this artistry is supposed to be a three hour show and then condense it into 40 minutes, 30 minutes seems a little like weird. Like, why would you even want to want to go see this if if the larger thing is the Tony Award winning one, you know? And even if this is just a little sample taste, it seems like you're kind of corrupting the art that was supposed to be there uh, by condensing it. Uh, you just had a bunch of segments of different percussions. You got somebody going ham on a xylophone at one point. And it's just mayhem to me. Light shows, lasers, very late 90s, early 2000s. So in this matchup, you know, I'm going to go with 
I think the X Games experience is the most DCA 1.0 thing to have a promotion that is trying to tap into the youths because you think the youths are what's going to bring people back to this park because there wasn't enough kids stuff at DCA. Well, here's the action sports for all of those kids that love their action sports. Felt like a very like knee jerk promotion that they just whipped up really quick and that that having to pivot under a time crunch is all what DCA 1.0 is about. I'm going with X Games experience. I'll break down a couple of like moments. Um, the hip gyrations. Uh, there were a few moments where like people in tubas like walk on the stage and they just they just gyrate their hips like they're <laughs> trying to seduce us with music and movement and like, oh yeah, sexy oh, brass. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and like the drum solo, like the solo drum, like hardcore, just like let's drum as fast as we can. So this is a, a weird personal story of mine that I just love bringing up on this podcast. Um, when I was in like sixth grade, this guy came to do an assembly where he did that. He, he did like crazy, like shredding on like a, a, a drum line drum. And then he was like, if you want to be a drummer like me, sign up for my drum class. And then he like taught a drum class on campus where the kids had to buy like a little drum pad. I didn't do it because I knew it was a scam. And so like... <laughs> There were probably like 15 kids in my class that for like a solid couple of weeks just walked around with this little drum pad and drumsticks were like, bah, 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 bah. Um, and I wanted no. to like, I, I don't know. It was just so annoying. And, and, um, that kind of like developed my disdain for uh, drumming very early sure. on in my life. And then when I was in high school, the drama class and the band class were neighbors and we shared a back alleyway together. And so the drumline kids, like they couldn't practice anywhere because no one wanted them there because they were really loud. So they put the drum kids back in the back alley, but all the drama kids were like running scenes and like trying to like <laughs> perform. And then you got these kids going. Bah, 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 bah. So my teacher would like, open the door. Hey, get out of here. We're trying to perform back here. So I have like kind of like a, a negative uh, background with with drummers and particularly like marching band drummers. So sounds like it. Seeing like that being so heavily featured in Power of Blast made me very like uh, it made me cringe a little bit. I'm going with X Games as well. Um, <laughs> X Games is something that I would have been really into back then, and it was something like I'm still in X Games, man. Like that was a tradition every summer for me. It was watching X Games. Wow. All week long. The whole, like all the programming. I thought it was so cool. I didn't skateboard. I didn't do any <laughs> kind of like BMX or action sports, but I thought it was awesome. So like, this is something that I definitely would have gone to see. Anytime there's an element of danger where someone could get seriously injured out there, I want to be there. First on the scene. So I'm going with X Games. Uh, Matt, anything to say about the power of Blast? Power Blast. Fake stomp. I don't know what to say yeah, about this. Like exactly. it is. I, 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 I think it's just a bad show in an awesome looking theater. So like I have a hard time like slamming this because I love the aesthetic. I love the the veneer of the theater. I just think it was a bad show. X Games, everything DCA 1.0 was extreme, <laughs> right? So yes. this is very DCA 1.0 for me. X Games easily wins uh, in this face off. Okay, let's move on to number three, the California Letters and Mural versus number 14, Soap Opera Bistro. I'm going to start with Soap Opera Bistro because I actually have an experience with this establishment. And the experience is that 
we couldn't get a table there because it was so <laughs> popular. And I don't know anyone that watches soap operas these days, but like my mom was a huge soap opera viewer. Like all my children, every single day she was watching that. And it was like when I was really little and I would get out of school early when I was in like kindergarten and stuff, I wouldn't watch all my children, but I would be like in the room. So I kind of like got the vibe and like recognized settings on the show. And so, you know, years later, when we go to this ABC soap opera bistro, I thought it was awesome to see those scenes that I saw on TV replicated in real life. Like it was mind blowing to me to see that. Uh, so thematically, like they, they really nailed this. Like I said, it's really popular. You could not get a table. It was like Blue Bayou level where like you got to call in <laughs> advance if you want to get a table because everyone yeah. was into it. And, and like themed dining was a big thing in the 2000s. I remember going to like uh, Ed DeBevick's, which was like a 50s themed uh, restaurant where, I don't know, they're all like uh, doo-wop singers and like greasers and they'll serve your food and do little like skits for you. Or at the Star Trek experience in Las Vegas, they had a Quark's Cafe <laughs> where like a Klingon would come and like mess with you. That was so big in the 2000s. And this ABC soap opera bistro played on that. Like the wait staff would do little scenes with you and they would like act like you're part of the show. Like we said at the beginning of the show, it's one of those things that like today we might be very critical of that and be like, oh, that was kind of tacky. That was kind of corny. But like back then you're like, oh, I only paid $45 to get into this park. That was <laughs> so cool to, to see that. Like it was cute. It was all I needed. It was like just enough. The um the menu items for this restaurant. Oh my goodness. Uh, Talk about the, puns. The puns and the themes. Uh conniving calamari, cheating chicken satay, scheming spinach salad, hunky ribeye steak. Uh so ridiculous. And um I don't I don't really know like who was in charge of the general creative direction of the naming of things at DCA 1.0, but they were like puns run with it. Yeah. Um, and it just seems like they did it, everything. Uh, th it was also like another attempt at brand synergy. I mean, Disney ABC, it's just like them pulling in these things that they already own to try and get you to like do things that you recognize the California letters. Um, iconic, super recognizable, the great meeting place for families. Like, Hey, meet me at the big letter L. <laughs> great super easy you know if you're like hey meet me at carthay circle theater someone might be like i have, I have no idea what that is <laughs> uh the letters are still alive today right they're like at some uh county fair in la somewhere no they're at the uh california expo in sacramento at the state oh, fairgrounds okay so they're still there so see clearly someone saw value in these things i remember i remember the letters being super fun to take pictures with like my name yes. starts with c so I would like stand by the big letter C and be like, let's go. And that was, that was big MySpace energy right there because <laughs> my high school girlfriend, her name started with A and we went to Disneyland. She was like, I need you to take my picture with the letter A and I'm going to be popping out of it. And that was her MySpace uh, profile picture. I don't really have anything else to say about those. I mean, that's that's kind of it. Maybe you can go deeper on like the mural and stuff, but I don't really sure. have any any memories or info on that. Um, I'm going uh, soap opera bistro on this matchup. Uh, I think it's uh, quirky, um, but surprisingly well done. The mural had these 
random scenes of California embedded in it. And Matt brought it up. Everything about DCA 1.0 is extreme. And they, they were not going to miss the fact that this was the world's largest ceramic mural, which is one hell of a title for them to be able to claim. There were images highlighting uh, the Wawana trees in Yosemite, the casino on Catalina Island, LAX in downtown LA, San Francisco, uh, the cypress trees in Monterey. There's some surfing, some like cows. It was just like this big pastoral image with all of these little scenes of California within it uh, that you couldn't really see or notice because it was behind the gates. So even if you're standing at the letters and looking at it, it almost just looked like a color collage as opposed to like individual scenes, which is DCA 1.0, if you're asking me, <laughs> like big time. Um, I never went to Soap Opera Bistro. I don't know that I even was aware that it was there when I was at DCA 1.0. None of my family members ate at, or none of my family members watched Soap Operas, so that makes sense why we wouldn't have eaten there. Uh, just from researching it and looking at it, it does look cool. It does look like something I'd be very into. However, Chris, I am way too anxious for waiters to be coming around me enacting scenes when all I want to do is sit at a table and eat. That would stress me out that I'm about to get pulled into a show with them. I don't want that. I just want to like eat in this cool set. I don't want to be part of the show. That particular disdain makes me move on the number three California letters oh. and the mural as the better DCA 1.0 thing. Matt, here we are again. Another tiebreaker. This is tough. I, I don't know. 14 versus a three? Yeah. California letters and mural, I think, are... I actually thought that they were a redeeming part of DCA 1.0. They didn't uh, feel super chintzy California cliche. Um, sure. I liked the mural. I, I liked it when I saw it. I liked the letters. I think the Streamline Modern entrance now is just a ripoff of Hollywood Studios. But Absolutely. so is the ABC Soap Opera Bistro. I mean, if you right. had an area of the Hollywood that never was but always will be where soap operas were a thing and not like 50s primetime and, you know, sci-fi dining. Like, sure. ABC Soap Opera Bistro would have worked at early Disney MGM Studios. But because this park really, like, desperately wanted to pull in different aspects of, like, other parks, I feel like the letters were unique and non-DCA 1.0, but ABC Soap Opera Bistro trying to repeat what other parks had done well is very DCA 1.0. I'm going with the 14 seed. Oh, love the upset. I'm honestly not mad at that. That's that's logic is perfect. I, I agree with that. Uh, final matchup of this round of 16. It's number six, Mission Tortilla Factory versus number 11, Sunwheel. The Sunwheel is just the Ferris wheel that's still there. It had a big, goofy sun as its icon as opposed to the now Mickey head. They wanted it to serve as a, yet another icon because they couldn't decide whether it was the bear, whether it was this Ferris wheel, whether it was the hubcap, whether it was the letters. What's the icon of our park? We can't it's Burger decide. Invasion. Burger Invasion Burger is invasion. the icon. <laughs> Put it on a on a denim shirt for me. Burger Invasion hut. I'll wear that all the time. Um, it's the same. It's the same ride system. Two different tracks. One 
has the swinging gondolas that's not even swinging. They're like sliding and rolling and terrifying. And the other one side is just the the standard gondola that just sits there and it is still. It's the Ferris wheel in DCA. It's up against the Mission Tortilla Factory, which if you haven't been, it's in like Cannery Row area of DCA. Uh, they used to make tortillas there. <laughs> it's a nice, another brand uh, synergy item that, that I'm sure Michael Eisner was stoked about. Uh, you can go see how tortillas were made and it's presented to you by a, three kids that are probably in about fourth grade giving their California history report. And it's so obnoxious that they did it this way. And yet here you are locked in a lobby, watching a TV screen, them describing how Native Americans used corn to produce these kind of like these corn tortilla items and now that's what we know tortillas today you walk through the doors you enter these vignettes windows on a wall that you look through and it's like a set but then there's these little like hologram scenes happening which feels super tca 1.0 to just be like we have the best technology where are we gonna put it inside the tortilla factory (laughs) check out our holograms at the tortilla factory you walk through them. At the end, you see this huge tortilla pressing machine that is just flattening out these tortillas, pumping them out. There's a test kitchen. And what's really funny about the test kitchen, Chris, is on the wall, there's like all of these scenes, like these photographs of like families enjoying tortilla dishes, enchiladas, tacos, burritos. There is a walkthrough video that I watched. And on the wall, this was a video from 2002. So I think the photo was from after that. On the wall was like a pizza my heart type mural where it was like a surfer, a skateboarder, like all of these extreme sport California scenes as opposed to anything to do with tortillas huh. or the theme of the building, which was like Spanish style. So I thought that was incredible. And I, I was like, of course, of course, they just continued that extreme, extreme, even in the tortilla factory. It's got to be extreme. In this matchup, it's for sure the Tortilla Factory. It's just that edutainment again, them trying to do more than what they really need to do, it missing the mark by having these kids give this book report on tortillas, seeing these hologram vignettes, entering, walking through, and if it's your birthday, you get a free tortilla. (laughs) Can't go wrong with that. Mission Tortilla moves on for me. So like my understanding was that you always get free tortillas. Oh. I thought it was on your birthday, but if it was all the time, I mean, what else are they doing with all of those tortillas they're pressing? <laughs> yeah. So I just want to say my body runs on tortillas. Like I <laughs> eat at least three tortillas every single day. I turned every dinner you can imagine into a burrito, chicken Parmesan <laughs> burrito, <laughs> sushi. Don't cut it. I'll eat it like a burrito. Spaghetti and meatballs, burrito that. No, stop that. So, um, unfortunately, like I never did this experience. I didn't do it one time. And we used to go to the parks with my aunt and my uncle and my cousins. And they, this family, they're the biggest foodies in the world, and they love free stuff. So, like the (laughs) fact that they they didn't like go straight to the free tortillas like on every time we ever went to Disneyland I'm like wow what a total missed opportunity for my family um I hate the sun wheel I hate the Pixar pal around I hate Mickey's play wheel or whatever it's called 
it might be the worst queue in any Disney park with like the worst loading operations. I, I, yeah. I can sit there and watch the thing for like an hour and not understand like how it's loaded and like what the cycle is like. It just moves excruciatingly slow for me. I have like, I just like a negative bias towards the attraction. Uh, something that's really cool about the Mission Tortilla Factory is that I could see it being like a ritual for people who go to the park a lot. Like, um, yeah, the tortilla tour is like not that exciting, but we got to go get our free tortilla. It's something we do every time. <laughs> and like, that's an important part of like theme park going as a family, especially a park like Disney where you go a lot. It's like you want to do the same thing every time and and you develop these weird quirky traditions, you know? Yeah. And so I can see the tortilla factory being a really fun part of that. So I am advancing the tortilla factory. Matt, do you agree with the tortillas? This is this is again easy. There's nothing so DCA 1.0 about the Sun Wheel, except that it just is not a very good attraction, and Mickey's Fun Wheel is not a very good attraction. But not everything in DCA 1.0 was a bad attraction, so it's not very DCA 1.0 for me. Mission Tortilla Factory, I love oh, this yeah. <laughs> number one. Number one, I love this idea. The fact that there's a pre-show before a quote like demonstration or restaurant like could you get food there (laughs) no it was like a test kitchen and the food that they were making there was only for display that is so awesome it's like totally misexecuted you (laughs) totally should have been able to eat there here's the tortillas in action here's your burrito the fact that you could only get a tortilla there is so DCA 1.0. The vignettes, they're like, let's take this concept of like the windows of Main Street and put it in right. a tortilla factory. Oh my God. I think, I don't know, man. This is so great. Yes, easily this wins. I think uh, you just changed my life with the tortilla factory. <laughs> Seriously. You know what's funny though? Like the factory part is cool, but all the yeah. other stuff is like so ridiculous. Yes, super ridiculous. And that's what DCA 1.0 is all about. How ridiculous can you get? And we've done it. We've gotten through the round of 16. We are left with the Elite Eight. And those matchups look like number one, Superstar Limo versus number eight, Eureka, California on Parade. Next matchup is number four, Bountiful Valley Farms versus number five, Sunshine Plaza. That's going to be a good one. Across the brackets, number 15, Paradise Pier Billboards versus the X Games Experience. That is the number seven seed. And rounding out the Elite Eight, it's number 14, Soap Opera Bistro versus the number six, Tortilla Factory. Matt, thank you so much for joining us for part one to get us through this round of 16. We look forward to having you back for part two, where we do crown the winner. I can't wait. Thank you, guys. I I love breaking ties. I love being part of anything DCA 1.0. Listeners, we've done it. We've reached the end of another Mouse Madness episode. You know how to reach us if you want to get in touch. You got something to say about our DC 1.0 opinion? Send us an email at mousemaddestpodcast at gmail.com. Or if you want to interact with us on social media, we are everywhere. Hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or Discord. All of those are linked in the description of this podcast. Till next week, folks. I wish they all could be California Adventure 1.0. Oh, I want to be